Hey, my name is Nolan Ramser, sponsored by Team Miscraft, and you're listening to the Chain Clankers Podcast. You're listening to the Chain Clankers Podcast with your hosts, Quinn Ferris and Horatio Gonzalez. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Chain Clankers. What is going on, everybody? You're listening to the Chain Clankers Podcast. I'm Horatio, and I'm here with my co-host, Q. Today, we're very excited to bring you, you know, a local guy for us here out of Wichita, Kansas, who recently just got bumped up to Team Discraft. Very young player, very exciting to watch. And uh, Q, what can the listeners expect from this episode today? Yeah, it's going to be a really fun episode. Also, hopefully you guys enjoyed the little switcheroo at the beginning of this episode. Normally, I'm breaking this in, but today Horatio's got it. So if you enjoyed that, let us know on Instagram, at Chain Clinkers. Um, but yeah, we got a really fun episode today. Uh, like Horatio said, we're bringing in a local guy. We're bringing in Nolan Ramsar. You heard him in the intro. And this is honestly going to be a really fun episode. This guy just got upgraded to Team Discraft. It's really cool for him, and it's really cool for our area. There's not a whole lot of guys here that are sponsored by Discraft, so it's kind of pretty big around here. Um, so, you know, best of luck to him, but we also kind of get into a discussion about his sponsorship, how he got started in disc golf, and I want you guys to keep in mind, this is somebody who's 16, 17 years old who can throw 500 feet and is already sponsored by Discraft. Like, this guy is really good at such a young age, so we kind of discuss how he got into disc golf and um, how he has kind of progressed throughout his journey in disc golf. Something else that we really talk about this episode is how to get over those tournament nerves. We all have them. We all have different coping mechanisms. We spend a lot of time here figuring out how to get over these nerves because we think it's important to get over these nerves in order to have more success. And I think something that everyone's going to want to stay tuned till the end for is finding out how disc golf is really just poker. So you're going to want to make sure you stay tuned through the end to find out why disc golf is poker. But with all that said, let's go ahead and bring Nolan on. Nolan, what's going on, man? Super glad to have you on the podcast. How are we doing tonight? I'm good. How are you? Pretty good. Pretty good. Pretty glad good. to have you. Um, love talking to a local. Love talking to someone who's uh, making a name for themselves in disc golf, especially at such a young age like yourself. So super excited to have you on today's episode, my man. Thanks. Happy to be here. Yeah. For yeah just sure. for us listening at home, tell us, tell us how old you are and just uh, where you're playing out of. Uh, I am almost 17, and I live in Wichita. Almost 17, that's wild. And you just got bumped up to Team Discraft, right? Tell us a little bit about that. Well, I got on Discraft Underground Team after a tournament I played in Oklahoma. Wes Shinovar, the captain of the Team Discraft Underground Team, texted me and said, can I call you later? And obviously I figured... You know, it had to do something with that. And then after this season ended, I got an email from Bob Julio, who's the team captain of uh, the Discraft team, and told me he was going to bump me up. So that was obviously super exciting. Nice. That's awesome. What, uh, what was kind of going through your head? I mean, obviously, you know, you knew um, – or maybe you didn't, kind of had the feeling, I guess, that that was going to happen. I knew it was on the table. Yeah. Yeah. And so what what kind of were your emotions when that happened? Because, you know, obviously, you know, going from unsponsored to, you know, then Discraft Underground and then Team Discraft. I mean, I feel like that's a pretty fun and exciting jump to have, especially at such a young age. You know, there's people have been playing the game for as long as you've been alive who Mm -hmm. haven't even had the opportunity to be sponsored yet. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was obvious. When I first got the email, I was kind of shocked because, like, he sent it so casually. It didn't say, like, like it wasn't. It was just, like, the most casual message I've ever been received on email. And so then I opened it because, like, you know, I had to read what it said. And then when I actually read it, that was it was pretty exciting. Obviously, the end of the email just said, if you have any questions, let me know. So I replied with, like, a million questions because yeah. it's not to have any. I mean, I guess that's kind of weird. To them, they're kind of not necessarily just doing business, but, you know, it's their day-to-day. It's their job to get people to sponsor and stuff. But to you, the players on the other side, that's yeah. like what you're working for. That's your everything. So it's a little different perspective there. But let's rewind. Let's go all the way to the back. So 17 years young. Take us back to when you were, you know, we old little kid or whenever 
this journey started to get you to this point right here. Take us all the way back and, and you know, share those memories, share those, um, those details with us. Um, I started after a PE class when I was like in fifth grade, I think. We threw like ultimate Frisbees at cones for the class. And I thought that was like the coolest thing ever. And then my dad told me about these courses in town that have like actual baskets and stuff. And the first course we actually played was Oak because it was like the easiest to find on the internet. And at the time we didn't have like UDISC or anything. And so we were like following a printed paper map. It's wow. like at this time, nobody would ever do that. But um, you guys have played Oak, right? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. We were standing after we played the first five holes on the, on long tee pad on six, staring at 16's basket. Oh, yeah that's the only one we could see yeah and then some local dude walked up to us and was like you guys clearly have no idea what you're doing and so he like <laughs> walked us through and so i basically we've been, like, been playing disc golf for like every day weekend since that point so like seven years ago nice was your I know I, I, I've joined the Wichita Disc Golf Group here pretty recently. I see your dad also posting in there. Was he like a, I guess, a major driving force for getting you into disc golf? Had he been playing for a while before you got into it, or did you kind of both get into it together? We started at the same time. He hadn't uh, played. He hadn't played at all since. Yeah, he hadn't played at all because we got into it on the same day after I told him that we did that in class, and he was like, well, we could go try it, you know, like actually tried if you really wanted to and so we did that's awesome so did you guys just kind of just go out and play casually or i guess when was it that you became to get kind of serious or was it just you know trying to get better and figuring stuff out on your own um i played my first tournament like three no like two and a half years in or something and i remember it was like the juniors division and i remember being like way up in the division and I was just like you know I didn't it didn't feel like it was it was that hard to get all the way to the top like I just felt like I was just I, like I didn't really think of it competitively I just showed up and we just kind of played it yeah and I happened to be you know way up there on the list and I was like oh okay and so you know we started playing more of those and eventually I got out of the junior division and played like intermediate when I was like 12-ish and so that felt a lot more competitive because, you know, I wasn't playing against other kids that were thinking the same thing I was when I first started, which was just like, I'm out here to have fun. It was like legitimately competitive. Nice. Nice. What, I guess, take me through that. I mean, a little bit because, you know, there, there's folk who still aren't in the intermediate division and, you know, maybe they've been playing for a while to be able to at 12 years old, to be able to be, out here balling in the intermediate division you know working yourself up to open and you know being able to even be sponsored like that what kind of grind did that take as you know kind of coming up you know also you know having to go through school and having to go through you know just getting better at disc golf was it literally go to school from eight to three and then slang from three yeah. to nine uh, almost pretty much uh, we yeah i tried to get out as, as much as i could there was a field by my old house that i used to just bike to and just like throw discs and figure everything out. And uh, I mean, I probably went there every day. I, the guy that mowed the the uh, mowed the um the field out there decided to change his schedules for when I was at school so that he wouldn't run into me, which I thought was pretty cool. That guy was awesome. Nice. I wish the people who would. So I go out to a field that's like five minutes away from my apartment it's it's a middle school football field right and i Horatio, i know i've kind of told you about this a little bit but uh you know it's so close it's the easiest field for me to go to so i'll go over there and i swear once or twice a month they just let all the middle schoolers out and they yeah. just terrorize me while mm -hmm. i'm trying to just get some nice <laughs> practice in and so like also something that i'm not super comfortable with is when someone else is like running or walking on the track or whatever because it's like man i know i'm not going to hit you yeah. but in the back of my head i'm like i'm definitely going to nail this person in the back of the head yeah. while they're not paying attention and so i can't actually get good practice in because it's in the back of my head i'm scared to actually really just rip it um so there's this one gal 
who's literally there every single time I go. I swear I'll be there for 10 minutes and I'll see her walking up and I'm like, oh my gosh, this old gal getting those steps in again. Um, so that's been kind of annoying. But yeah, literally the last week I went out there, uh, I was just terrorized by 200 middle schoolers and I was trying to do some putting. I was trying to, you know, figure out some stuff with my race. And the next thing I know, I'm just swarmed. And it's like, you guys aren't even doing anything on the field. You're just standing yeah. there. Guys, yeah. get, get out of the way. But yeah, that was my fun little, fun little tidbit right there. Um, you know, working in the field, doing those kinds of things, how important would you rate, you know, actually spending that time in the field you know we've talked about it on previous episodes that that field work is important and it matters but especially you know figuring out your new discs i'm not sure what you threw before you were sponsored by discraft but but once you became sponsored by discraft i imagine they said hey guy you're only going to be able to throw our discs does that Mm -hmm. mean you spent a lot more time in the field figuring those things out or was it hey i'm gonna go play oak or you know some other parks here in wichita and just kind of figure it out on the course well, I I had basically been throwing all discraft for like a year before I got on the underground team. So it's I mean it's been a couple years now that I've been throwing all discraft. But when that first happened, uh, I played the Des Moines Challenge, which is in Iowa, and they gave the players pack when I was in advanced was like eight discs, like eight discraft discs. So Jeez. you know you I used to just get players pack discs and just like get rid of them or whatever, put them in a box. But you know I got like like a full setup. I got like you know, like stable, understable, mid-range putter, driver, fairway. And so I had like a whole bag, so I thought might as well just try it. I kind of got hooked, and I eventually my whole bag switched within like a month. And then like after that, I played um, the Duda local tournament and actually won that tournament with a full discraft bag, which is my first tournament with a full discraft bag in advanced. Well, so that was cool. Um I guess I never really went to the field, like, just to figure the discs out. I went to the field after I kind of already knew what they were doing. But, you know, I figured everything out on the courses pretty much because, you know, I had, like, the discs I had previously thrown compared to the new discs. And, I, you know, just based off, like, the flight numbers and the reviews online, I kind of knew what I could compare them to. So that kind of made it easier to just, like, you know, go play a whole round without the other version version you know and just see if you can survive without whatever it was you know just figure it out what was it that made you really i guess you said you really liked discraft so you ended up switching over which i mean now um looking back at it was a, a good move for you because now that's what you ended up throwing you one tournament you stuck with it and now you're sponsored by them mm-hmm. so what was it about discraft or the plastic that made you like it so much oh. I guess I don't really know. The consistency is amazing. The The zone when I first got it kind of got me hooked because I didn't really have like a disc I could upshot forehand. Like just not that it was comfortable. Like the zone, like the depth of the zone is like perfect for a forehand upshot. Yeah. Previously it had to be like, for me, it had to be like a driver or something, which was hard to just get to stick. And so after I, after I put that in the bag, I put the nuke in the bag. And that was also like a like revolutionary to me for forehands because I could just get it to go so much further than other things. Um, I think the plastic is it feels really good. What I mean, would you say is your favorite discraft plastic? The plastic? Yeah, which one? Like ESP, Z Line, Big Z, Jawbreaker. I would probably say Z. And if not, I would say Pro-D. I kind of wish there was more options in Pro-D, if I'm being honest. I mean, I know it beats up quick, but when I first get it, it feels it feels great. I don't know, something about it just feels so good. So um, take us back again. So you said, so you started playing it when you were five. And no, then... I started playing in fifth grade. I started fifth playing grade, well, <laughs> Okay, okay, sorry, sorry, yeah. So nine, so... First, 10, 11, 12, so about three years in, and you started playing your first tournament. And then, so now you're in middle school, so um, were you going out to tournaments with your dad? Um, yeah, yeah. So more, at, that time, at that time, me and my dad were playing, were playing tournaments together. Was he as hooked as you were? 
Yeah, pretty much. We, we, we would always just, like, without even making a plan, wake up and just go on the weekends. Just, just get out of the house and go play disc golf. And so every time a tournament popped up, you know, like on the Facebook page, it would give you a yeah. ad or whatever, and he would walk into my room and ask me if I want to play. And my first answer was like, yes, 100%. Then, you know. No, I get yeah. that. Definitely looking to play in more tournaments. And um, I think that's one of those things where low key, I've actually started talking to a couple more folk here in Manhattan. And they're, I won't say there's a division amongst people, but there's definitely a debate to be had whether disc golf should, like, you should play tournaments or not, or you should just go and play for fun. Um, I've recently met a couple people who are like, no, I will never play a tournament. A tournament is awful. I only will play for fun. Stop trying to ruin this game. Um, so, I, I mean, obviously you're on the other side wanting to play tournaments, taking it a little bit more seriously. What, what would you say to anyone who is maybe scared of or doesn't want to play a tournament or, you know, maybe just kind of wonders what a tournament feel is like. I mean, I've obviously met people at like leagues and stuff that tell me, you know, I'm, I'm never going to play a tournament, which I don't really understand, I guess. I don't know. It just doesn't really seem like they're out there to play disc golf. It seems like they're out there to just like, you know, get outside and walk around. Like, I don't think, I don't think they're thinking about it like that. And, you know, for some people, it's obviously, like, they don't want to spend the money because they don't think they're going to make anything back or whatever. So you could start off with something that's, like, more of, like, an organized league, you know, something that's, like, $10. Um, I don't know. That's, yes. I mean, that's pretty much it. I bet. Yeah, because I know late nights here. Yo, get, yo. aren't, like, bad or anything. Like, they're not they're not hard to adjust to. The only thing that's different is obviously like the tee times and the cards. Obviously the people that want to go out can play with whoever they want in a tournament. That's obviously different, but. Yeah. Cause I definitely know, you know, kind of like the players kind of you're talking about, cause you'll get, we'll get here like huge groups, especially in the summertime, springtime at league night. Um, it'll just be packed, especially this last year, you know, we'll go to Oak park or wherever on Wednesday nights for like doubles or something. And mm -hmm. there's just – I think this last year, I think they said one day there was like 85 people or something. Yeah. I kept and, showing up to those and going, I, I haven't seen two-thirds of these people in my life. I have no idea who any of these people are. Yeah. But it's they just would exploded. show up every week. And for some of the people who, you know, do league nights every night, there was a mix kind of, this is awesome. There's more money for me to take home because they play that same park every day. So yeah. they're really good at it or they know they're going to cash and there's this, all this extra money in the pot. But then a lot of it was also their kind of that annoyance of just that extra is just packed, you know, can't get through the park as quickly, but definitely those people just play the park just for fun and they're competitive in their own way. They want to obviously score as best as they can, yeah. but the tournament kind of just, they're, they're not in it for that. And I understand that, but there's, there's other players who want to play in tournaments to test themselves because it's a different type of game, you know. You'll play for fun. I'm sure you've had your, your rounds where you do phenomenal, and then maybe you go and do a tournament, and you're like, what yeah. just happened? Like, yeah. I just played this course yesterday. And I guess let's talk a little bit about that because, I mean, you're 17. You said almost 17. Yeah. And so you play these tournaments. I mean, you were on some uh, local big tournaments here. And playing with guys, you know, twice your age, there was even uh, some guys that were three times your age, probably. Mm -hmm. I don't remember his name, but he's one of the he's one of the older gentlemen. Are you talking about Ron? Yeah. Ron, yes, what is yes, his yes, last yeah. name? Converse or? Yeah. Cars? Yeah, they call him Ron Con. Yeah, yeah so Ron you had, Con. So that tournament, it was uh, you, and then it was, I guess, Logan and, and Ron. And on the, card, kind of, yeah. on the final card. So, you know, huge gaps in age there, different skill levels, all really competitive. So do you still get nerves, you know, playing these tournaments with guys who have maybe more experience than you? Or like, what's it like going into these tournaments? I, I obviously still still get nerves. I mean, I feel like if I didn't get nerves and I just wouldn't care anymore. I mean, like once you get into the flow, like when you're stepping on the first tee shot and you're thinking, like, like a hole one at Oak, like for me, really isn't like the most difficult starting hole. And so the first thing I was thinking is like Logan, like Logan who had the lead is Logan's going to birdie this. So I need to birdie this too. And so that adds nerves. But after you throw, 
you just walk down the fairway and talk to him. And Logan, after I threw that, actually walked up to me and said, are you nervous right now? And I said, oh, well, totally. And he was, I don't know, he was like, he was shocked, I guess. Maybe it's just because I was, you know, I'm only, I'm only 16 and he just thought maybe I wasn't like as serious at him or something. But um, once you get like flowing and stuff, the, the tournament kind of just settles down a little bit. Like the whole, like usually when I'm on a card, I guess I haven't had any cards where like everybody just doesn't say anything to each other. I'm usually on a card where at least somebody talks. And you mentioned Ron Con, and, and every time I play with Ron Con, and I, I know Logan says the same thing, I, I'm always learning from Ron Con. Like he just always, like without even asking, he just walks up and says something where you're like, that makes a lot of sense. Like he knows what he's talking about. He's been doing this, yeah, yeah for like longer than I've been alive, you know? And he's like, I still talk to him sometimes. Like we, we've communicated and stuff at other tournaments and Facebook Messenger. And he talks to me a lot about, you know, he'll see a score somewhere and he'll be like, well, can you tell me like what specifically happened? And then he'll, you know, he'll give me advice and stuff. Like that's just a good thing about the community. People are just, I've never met anybody where they would just refuse to say anything or, or anything at all. Uh, tournament nerves are, like, obviously, they're hard to get over, but to me, it's just always just play the round. Like, it's not like it's not anything different, like, in my head. So, I guess a question I have then is, A, have you ever played on a card where, you know, either someone's playing music or maybe they have headphones in? And B, well, I mean, if you've been listening to this show, you know my opinions on playing music out loud. Um but for those tournament nerves, I think something that I'm thinking about doing this year is playing with either one AirPod in or two AirPods in, uh, but not like in a disrespectful way where like, hey, I'm not going to talk to anyone, but like, you know, hey, like I'm going to be in my own little world, but like we can definitely still chat. Um, have you ever played with anyone like that? Or in, like if you have, do have people like that on your card, what, what are your thoughts about that? Because I feel like maybe for myself and others out there, that could be some sort of factor that could help calm them down when they're playing in those tournaments. I actually, in that coverage, played with headphones in for, like, three holes after I had just taken a bad score just to, like, you know, calm down or whatever. But I'm usually playing music that, like, doesn't have words. Mm-hmm. So it's just kind of like a background noise just so that it, like, doesn't isn't, like, completely distracting. But at the same time, it's not going to, like, let me overthink anything. And actually, I mean, I don't have anything against anybody playing. Obviously, in a PDJ tournament, you can't play music out loud. But if you play with headphones, I mean, I don't have anything against that. I think you should be, I, I don't see a reason to make it not allowed or anything. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I know Haley King, she'll play on the pro tour with headphones. Yeah. Uh-huh. She's kind of, I feel like she's kind of gone away from that a little bit. She was doing it a lot more early on. And she's kind of, I think, trying to maybe stop doing that. I don't know, but I've seen her doing it less. But she definitely did it um, on the season this year. So a little bit about those nerves. I mean, it's one thing playing here locally, you know, it's Logan or Ron Con guys you know. Um, what about when you play these like tournaments outside, you know, where outside the state somewhere else where you don't know people, um, what kind of nerves are you dealing with and how do you deal with that throughout the tournament? You know, you said once you get in the zone, once you start playing, um, you kind of, it kind of goes away, but it's still kind of there, you know, what are some things you do to deal with it? What are some through the tournament having a bad, a bad putt or something? What are some things you kind of keep your composure? Um, Something I've been doing lately, like, without – well, I guess I say lately, but, like, the last tournaments I've been playing, without even thinking, is just this, like, whatever song was stuck in my head that day, just, like, repeatedly singing it over and over. Just because, like, it kind of gets me off the – you know, if I start thinking, man, that was embarrassing or that really sucked, and I get mad at myself, like, I can tell when I'm mad at myself and I realize it, then, you know, try to get my mind off of that. Because I don't want to look like that kind of guy when I when – I, when I drive to Oklahoma and I play a tournament and people are looking at me like, who is this kid? Why is he doing that? I just want to be like, like, I don't want to, I just don't want to look like that. And I've played tournaments on a card full of people I've never met in my life, but I think somewhat of it is just, they're impressed that I'm 16. I'm on the pro cards. And so after a few holes, they walk up to me and they, you know, they say, how old are you? And I say 16. And some of them think I'm, I'm 18, right? They think, 
you know, like this kid's out here by himself. When in reality, like, <laughs> like me and my dad drove up here and a couple friends are staying, you know, and like when you go out of town, it's obviously a different scene for one, because you don't know the course nearly as well as you're playing locally. And you don't know the people nearly as well as you know, the pe like the community in your area. Um, I played a tournament in McAllister, Oklahoma. It's like four hours away. And I met Gavin Ossenkopf. He's from Norman, Oklahoma. And since then, I've like, he's been playing a bunch of tournaments that I have, like the bigger tournaments in Oklahoma. And, you know, I'll meet him, like I'll see him and we'll just talk and he's really cool. And, you know, people like that are obviously really helpful when you just play a disc golf round of, you know, something you're not used to. Yeah, for sure. I still, I still think the round, the nerves go away no matter where you are. It just might take longer depending on the course and the tournament setting. Yeah. So, like, let's say early on in the tournament, um, let's say, I don't know, let's say we're playing at Oak, right? We, I think we all have a pretty good understanding of that. Let's say you're playing at Oak and the last, I literally can't remember what that tournament was called that you were on the lead card for. Uh, Keeper. Keeper. Keeper of the, the Chains. Chains. All right. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and whole three, I want to say, was the island hole. Oh yeah, and that you had to you had to get it over the the little wall or whatever, and th that one branch that knocked every disc down. It felt like, um, let's say you you miss the island, right? And you're a little bit flustered. You know, you know this is a hole that honestly should be a birdie Which if it's I not a birdie. <laughs> yeah, so even better, yeah. literally even better, folks. Here we go. Here's the question then. So how in that moment, obviously you're flustered, frustrated. You know that other people are getting that birdie, and that's at least yeah, they a were both swing. They were both 12 feet away. Yes, perfect. And then I come off and, you know, shank it long, which I knew as soon as I let go of it. And they, they were both telling me, oh, that might be on the island. And I was like, no, <laughs> there's no way. I threw that way too far. Perfect. So in that situation, how do you then calm yourself down and be like, all right, guy, look, it's literally one hole. There's, is it literally, there's, it's one hole. There's 15 others, 18 others, however many more you have to go. Like, yeah. let's not let this one hole ruin the entire round. Yeah. So when I was walking up like to the drop zone, I was thinking, you know, yeah, I can see them under the basket for one. I don't want to run this putt air ball and go OB again and then look like an even bigger idiot. Like I don't want to make the number, the, the number bigger than it has to be. It's already bigger than it should have been because I missed this, you know, 250 foot hole. Um, I was just walking up to that telling myself that, you know, there's the whole round left. You're comfortable with the rest of this course. I think the thing about that Island hole was the fact that it's usually, that it's obviously usually not an Island hole. And yeah. so I was just kind of thinking like, whatever you can you can throw it harder than you feel like you should just to make sure you get over the wall but then I went way further than that and I went over the OB but yeah I mean that was just one whole obviously I could think of more mistakes that was probably my biggest like genuine mistake that I made it was just poor voice and line and all the other stuff so that's the situation that hole it was like it was pretty much gone i mean i was frustrated till i got to the next t-pad but i kept telling myself that if i keep thinking about that hole the whole round then i'm gonna just be dragging myself and i could just be you know pushing myself more yeah so, so in that situation did you end up laying up just playing safe and just kind of calling it no i still ran the putt because in that position there's like a couple of trees that are behind the basket and i felt confident that if i if i missed it wasn't going to have enough speed to like bounce off the tree and then go ob again um, but it was a jump putt. It wasn't like a throw. So I knew that it was like easier to make, you know, get to the ground faster. And cause if I had like actually ran like throwing the disc instead of putting the disc, that would have been a different story because in, in that case I could have gone way further than my putt would have. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that's one thing I've kind of been thinking about recently and I guess it's maybe just coincidence because I've been playing, you know, poker with buddies here and then. And poker, I was thinking about the other day when I was playing disc golf at the uh, Oak. And it's similar in the way that, you know, once if you start doing, I don't know if you play poker, but if you start getting desperate or, if, you know, if you start losing chips, you kind of start to get 
more ambitious and more like, I need to get it back. I need to get that back. Similar to like disc golf, if you make a bad drive and then you're in that situation where you want to run it, like I need to get this hole back. I need to either par it or, you know, cut my losses. And a lot of times people will get desperate. And instead of, you know, just playing it safe or just laying up or whatever, they go for the, which that situation sounds like it worked out for you. But I'm sure you've had others where it didn't, where you got desperate and you're like, I have to go for this or I need to recover instead of playing it safe and maybe just calling it a hole. And what what's your feel on that? Do you feel yourself doing that sometimes or do you get desperate in situations where you should be humble and just, you know, call it? So, yeah, that was, the, that was like one of the major things, like before I decided to move up into the open field is that I need to stop like in that situation where you go be, I need to like make sure I don't go be again. I just need to put it close and get off the hole and just go on to the next one. I don't need, I don't need to make that three putt because it's one stroke. Like I can make that, I can make that up on the other court, like the other, the other 15 holes we still had left. Like we, there was no reason for me to like feel like I needed to make it. Like obviously I wanted to make it, but it wasn't like completely needed. And when I still played advanced, I, I taught myself doing that all the time. You know, I was running 60 footers, incredibly aggressive, having a 30 foot comeback putt and I would just cage it, you know, cause you don't have any confidence in the comeback putt after you do something like that. And that was the one thing I kind of learned to putt. Like you, you, did you guys watch that keeper video? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You can tell that I putt very hard. Yeah. Most situations where I'm feeling confident, I feel like I can putt really hard. And if I'm not feeling confident, I'm going to throw, you know, something that like floats and, and stops in a, in a more comfortable range. Um, yeah, it's, it's hard to not like, after you do something like that, it's hard to tell yourself that you can't do it again because you obviously like, sometimes you just don't even think and you step up and you try to make it. And then you go B and you're like, well, I didn't think that was going to happen. Like you, you need to think about the fact that you could be throwing strokes away when you, when you really don't need to at all. I think to elaborate on that real quick, I think that's really smart, especially for our listeners who, you know, might not be playing in open. Let's say you're playing in rack, advanced, intermediate, whatever it is. I think, please correct me if I'm wrong, Nolan, you know, you've been in all those divisions. I feel as though, especially at those, at those lower divisions, it not, it's not necessarily about how many strokes you can like gain as in like getting birdies and things like that. And it's more about how many strokes are you not giving up to course because literally we played i think it was the last tournament at least that i played this in 2020 um the one that i lost my truck in rest in peace but uh literally the guy on my card would every single time if he was outside of like 20 feet he'd just lay up but every single time this guy was ending up with a par or maybe he was getting the occasional bogey because he wasn't really trying but then we'd see other guys including myself who would try to run more of those putts and then just have to deal with a comebacker that you now, like you just said, you don't have confidence in and you end up missing that one. So now here you are three, four putting when you could have just laid up and gotten it very easily. Is that something that you would maybe recommend to players in those lower divisions? And Hey, don't necessarily worry about finishing under par and getting those birdies. Take what you can and don't give up extra strokes to the course. Yeah. I think boring golf wins. That's because, you know, you don't need to do anything flashy and you don't need to you know run every 40 footer that you have the chance at. Obviously if you're in lower divisions and you have a 40 footer, I was never confident with that. Like that was, that was, that was something that even though I wasn't confident in for some stupid reason, I would still try to make it, <laughs> which obviously led to worse comeback putts. Like I said, yeah, that's something, that's something that people should think about, I think, a little bit more. Like, you don't have to, like, purely lay it up. You can give it, you know, you can at least give it the height, but you don't need to, like, run it with full speed. You can just make sure that it stays close enough to where you can still make the three putt or the whatever it is that, that you're trying to save. Yeah. yeah. One thing I've started doing recently is if I'm, you know – I don't know. I'm, I'm bad at distances. I'm horrible, but maybe, you know. We got to get a range finder, Horatio. That's what we <laughs> got to do. We got to get a dang range finder. 
But if I am maybe 60 to 70 feet out, you know, which is a range for some people where they might toss it, you know, might do a, a, like a full throw. I've started doing, and I want to practice more with it and get better at it, but I've started doing a lot more jump putting. And it's one of those where, you know, it's not quite, it's not quite a full force throw like you're talking about, but you're not laying up. Because I know yeah. my jump, uh, it doesn't have that much power in it, but it's going to be just enough to give it a run, but it's going to kind of just die. And I've seen my scores come down because of that before when I, because in that situation, I would do a full, you know, a standstill back throw and it would just go past it, you know, and then I would end up being on the other side of it as to where jump putting, because you don't have quite that much force and the timing's bad and, until you figure it out. And it's like a, it's a really hard toss, you know, really hard layup is kind of what it is, how to explain it. So it dies and you end up being parked or pretty close. And sometimes you make it and it's really fun. Yeah. When I, when I jump putt, I, I putt with a stable putter. I putt with the challengers. They have a lot of stability. So I feel like, I feel like I can trust to like make a dive in. Whereas some people that putt with something like super flippy or dead straight, like a fierce or like a magnet or something are going to go right at the basket. And when you go at the basket, it has the better chance if you miss even on a jump putt to like keep going. Whereas like, a, like it's not like a full hyzer putt, but it's like where my putter loses speed, it's going to drop down left. Whereas like something like the fierce isn't going to like dump. It's going to just keep going straighter. Yeah. yeah, I really yeah, like that. Oh, that's a good way of explaining it. Um, so then, I guess one more quick question I have, I think, before I'm ready for the ace round, at least. Um, speaking to that a little bit, would you maybe recommend going with a little bit more of an overstable putter for those kind of circle two-ish kind of jump type putts? Well, totally. Um, that's that's something I've always done. I don't I don't know where I really learned that per se. It was just something I was used to, where you can you know you can manipulate it a little more than a straight putter because I always felt like if I was jump putting, like with the putters I used to putt with, they would just they would get flippy. In which case, you know, they would turn and just like crash because my jump putt wasn't like you know as spinny as it is now. And so I think I just kind of corrected that by going more over stable so that I knew I wouldn't just slam it into the ground and instead it would at least fight out and fade. And so then I kind of just developed that where I could just get it. Yeah. Like I said, to just spike by the basket instead of, instead of flying past it. And that was actually something that Ron Con told me when I was like, you know, a long time ago when I was still in intermediate is, you know, he was, he was seeing how aggressively I putt and the putters I putt with, if I missed, it was going to be a long miss. And so he, he always told me, you know, you can jump putt with a disc you approach with. You can just slam it over on a little bit of ante and it will just fight back. And it wasn't, you know, at that time, it wasn't a complete run. It was a comp it was like a layup, but it was a lot more controlled than a throw. So that's something I usually recommend to people. I know, I know some people, when they get further out, they actually go with the flippier putter. And honestly, if that's what you're used to, then you can go with it. But I'm like, if you're having trouble with that seven or like 60 to a hundred feet of distance, which is a really awkward distance. Like when you get to like yeah. hundred to like 70 feet, like not everybody can jump putt that far. And if you can't jump putt that far, then it's just hard to learn. Like I think, and I think you can get a little more distance if you actually force an overstable putter on Anheuser on a putt like not pure Anheuser but just enough to get it to fly and then fight and dive back down I think that's that's a good distance for that kind of shot yeah definitely just one here a little bit real quick before we get up into this ace round I'm curious about you know you're you're 17 younger and um, you're not you're not a huge guy you know you're not like six feet tall, you know, all yoked like Esro or whatever. But I've watched you some events you've done, and you know, you'll you'll bomb. You you can throw 500, 500 plus if you need to. Um, so I know some players they'll get frustrated about distance and about you know uh, power. And I just want to see if maybe you can clarify a little bit or maybe some tips about just it doesn't matter you know how big you are, how strong you are, or any of that like. Tell us a little bit about how you have 
that power, obviously you've been playing for a long time. That's going to be the main factors. You've been playing for years mm-hmm. and people, people can't skip that, but just a little bit, some, maybe some stuff that has helped you increase your distance or what you've done to increase your distance. Um, most of all of it is going to be timing. So, you know, some people that take 80 foot long, like yeah, just way extra run-ups like James Conrad, because they see him do it on, on YouTube or they run up, you know, four times faster than they do when they're just trying to throw controlled. I don't, I, I've always been kind of against that per se, because I just think it throws your, your entire timing off. Like, I think at that point, you know, your planned foot is going to be way off. And in some cases that'll be uncomfortable, but at that point you can't stop yourself just naturally. You can't, you can't just stop. And, you know, that's something like Danny Lindahl says, slow is smooth, smooth is far. And you know, when you're learning, that's, that's, that's what you should be doing. Like I learned to throw putters pretty early, but I think that's one thing that's going to help you a lot is if you can throw a putter and it's not, you know, like a straight neutral putter and it's not just flipping or it's not just crashing and fluttering and rolling or whatever. If you can do that comfortably and throw a putter hard, that is when I think that you are gaining distance. And another thing is obviously pulling straight through instead of, instead of rounding and people will start rounding, even if their regular form doesn't do so by taking an extra step in their run up without even thinking about it. And then they'll get confused and, you know, their whole timing's off and their whole, their whole throws not gain as much distance as they should be. Nice. I think those are some really helpful tips, honestly. Um, yeah, I definitely think that I can apply that to myself as well, but I think we are ready to get into the ace round. Horatio, would you agree with me on that? Yeah, yeah, cool. good. Cool, cool, cool. Let's start this. Uh, if you guys have been listening to the show for a while now, you know the ace round is the same five questions that we like to ask everyone we have on and just kind of see how the answers differ and uh, maybe learn some new perspectives. But we did mention this a couple episodes ago that we might be changing around the ace round questions a little bit. And today we are making our first change. So you're going to want to make sure you stay tuned to the end of this podcast to find out which question is being changed. Let's start here, Nolan. Let's start with the first one. So you're taking a buddy to go out and buy their first set of discs. What is one putter, one mid range and one driver you would tell them to get when they're just starting to play? Um, for mid range, this would be like a no-brainer if you know anything about Discraft. The buzz. I think you could play a whole round, like your first ever round could just be with a buzz. But if I had to pick a putter, it would be something, you know, straighter or neutral with some glide, like a magnet or a roach. I'd probably say roach just because it's like more of a generic feeling putter. And when you say driver, are you saying like what's like fairway or like... Either or. I would pick something lower speed. Like um, a stalker is a good choice, I think, or something like a sting even, because, you know, that's something you can get to like, like, I don't want to say anything with zero glide and too much stability because depending on the arm speed you have, you know, you're just going to get frustrated trying to throw the the seven speed disc because it's just going to fall out of the sky. But if you pick something like the sting, which is a very understable um, eight, eight ish speed, um, you can actually, you know, they'll be, they'll be happy when they can get it to like, when they can see the disc in the air. So those, that's probably what I would pick. Cool. Just, there, I know there's a bunch of buzzes. Um, anyone specifically you would recommend or one that you prefer? Plastic wise? Um, probably, probably Z because if they decide to keep playing, it's going to hold up a lot better than the other plastics, but it's also not as expensive as the ESP plastic. Yep. Cool. All right. Question number two, your favorite course that you have played and the number one course you would love to play. The number one course I want to play is toboggan in Michigan. The one that Macbeth shot 18 down on. (laughs) Um, I think that would just be like a, like, the elevation, obviously, we don't have that at all. Yeah. And so throwing off that kind of elevation, it's important to get the nose angles correctly. And that's something I just think would be fun to experiment with. The favorite course I have played, um, can I use two answers? Sure, yeah. Okay. <laughs> as far as um, 
like sentimental value, I'd probably go with Colwich and the Cowskin Creek. Have you guys played that? No, I'm meaning to because everyone talks about it, especially here locally, and then so much about it. And I'm like, what's the big deal yeah. about Colwich? Yeah, wooded course is probably like our only wooded course, but there's three tee pads on every hole, and there's a bunch of pin locations, and they're constantly improving it. And I just, you know, that's something I would go after after school some days and just like play around by myself. And that's it's a it's just a nice place to walk around. Um, my favorite course as far as like, like just because I thought it was really cool. Um, probably country club in Emporia. I think that's something that like suits my style of game, which is like really hard and far and like, but controllably, that's always something I felt like I had an advantage on and I need to get out there again because I need to play. I need to. I need to practice with the OBs that they play in tournament because those are obviously a little tighter than um, just going out there and playing casually. Yeah, for sure. And hey, <laughs> let's all get together. Let's make a YouTube video and let's head out there. I mean, let's let's make that happen. I'll definitely play it with you if if you want to, my man. Uh, our third question here is: What is the number one tip you would give to yourself if you could go back to when you first started to take disc golf seriously? What is the number one thing you would have told yourself? I'm getting frustrated. I that was something that I think me and a bunch of other people were realizing is I was I mean I was kind of an idiot. Like I took it, you know, as young as I was, I was getting way too mad at everything I, I threw. Like no matter what happened, um, you know, I'd get mad at missing eighty footers, which doesn't even make sense because I shouldn't I shouldn't have been expecting to make those. I was I was just I think that was something that was just like hard for me understand is that i was just always mad for like no reason yeah. yeah i think there's definitely a line of you know you care so much about something you want to be good at it you love it and you have that passion and if you don't have that and it kind of dies i think that's when some people stop playing or stop doing certain hobbies you know they lose that passion but there's definitely like a balance of passion and just being hard on yourself i guess so Cool. I like that Real one. quick, right. if I can jump in, something that I think that might be valuable is I can't remember what tournament it was, um, but they had Macbeth mic'd up, and he missed a putt, and he absolutely had to have the putt to even challenge Calvin for the win, wherever <laughs> Calvin yeah. won. Yeah, um, it was later in the season, and he said he didn't say anything that was like mean towards himself. It was just like, "Hey, man, you have to know what that wind. You need to make that. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. need to make that. You know what the wind. You have to aim at a different spot. The wind's going to affect it at the basket. Just because I think he was saying, just because it's a tailwind here doesn't mean it's a tailwind over there or something like that. It, it was never self degrading. It was never, "Hey, you suck. Why did you miss yeah. that?" And I think that is a very important mindset to continue to have out on the course. Uh, because uh, let's be honest, none of us are Paul McBeth. No, mm-hmm. you're not going to make 100% of the shots that you go after. So getting mad at yourself and just being mean and negative to yourself, in my opinion, is probably only going to make your round worse. And then you're going to just oh, it, keep It collapsing. totally is. Yeah. It did all the time for me. And uh, yeah, that that's a fine line right there because you – like stuff like that that Beth said is you tell yourself that to push yourself. And if you tell yourself, wow, you suck, then you're thinking that the entire round. But if you're thinking, yeah. you know, you need to make this putt the entire round. I mean, some people thrive under pressure. And I, I think I, I think I do is when it becomes, it's mostly on the putting green for me because that's just something where I always struggle, you know, mentally and stuff, but telling yourself you need to make this is different than telling yourself you missed the last one. Now you have to make this because yeah. at that point it's like a drag. But when you're telling yourself you need to make this, it like, I mean, it boosts my confidence for sure. Yeah, definitely. All right. Number four, your favorite memory playing disc golf. I mean, that's a lot of them because that was like, I mean, that was my entire childhood. That was, that was all through middle school was disc golf. Um, probably my first ace. I was only like 11 at the time. Oh, and it's going to sound like really boring <laughs> because, you know, that'd probably be a lot of people's answers. Oh, that was my first ace. But when I hit that, I was, <laughs> my dad still makes money for this. I was like, 
I was screaming so yeah. loud. And people were looking at us like, well, is, is this kid okay? And I was like, that was, that was like the most excited I had ever been. Like, cause that was before my dad got an ace. Right. So I was, that was the first time I had seen a T pad, like from T pad all the way into the basket. Like that was just something that like I hadn't seen before. And that was, yeah, that was crazy that, for me. That would hurt as you know, as a dad, you know, that would you'd be oh, a proud no. moment, but it would hurt. It'd be like, yeah. Good job. Okay. You're walking home. <laughs> yeah. You, yeah. Sorry. You can't ride with me. Uh, yeah. That's <laughs> funny. I, I completely agree with you. The first ace I, well, the, still the only ace I had, I was screaming like a damn idiot, uh, but I was yeah. very excited nonetheless. So uh, here we go. Our last question we got for you, my man, what is the biggest mistake you see new players make? Um, there's kind of two that are pretty big in my eyes is, is they pick a faster disc and they think it's going to go further, which I guess is kind of under the same thing. And then, and then people that look at the flight numbers of a disc and then get mad when it doesn't fly like what it says and not realizing that it's not going to fly like that unless you throw it that hard. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I think that's a mistake in itself and that's going to just make you not want to play because you're throwing this and you're mad and you're confused because you're, you know, your nuke OS isn't going any because you don't have any arm speed, but you thought it was going to go further because it was a 13 speed disc. Yeah. And, you know, that's part of why we started this podcast and why we're still doing it. And hopefully people listen in is these kind of answers, you know, this kind of stuff that maybe if you just started playing for fun by yourself or with a buddy and no one else, you know, and you don't go out with other players ever who can help you. People like Ron Khan, you know, who can give you advice and stuff. Uh, and you're never going to quite learn. You're going to kind of just maybe either learn the hard way or never really learn good habits. That's mainly why, why we do this and why we have pros like you on who we can, you know, learn from and avoid years of mistakes if possible and improve quicker and be better. Cause I mean, it's funner when you're better. So definitely. But, I mean, this is kind of uh, – we're done. That's all the questions we had for you. This is kind of your your spotlight here to, you know, give any shout-outs, thank yous to anybody you'd like to. Um, obviously, thank you to Discraft, Bob Julio, and Paul Ulibarri and Wes Chenevar for, you know, believing in me and stuff. Uh, thanks to my dad for driving me literally everywhere when I wanted to play disc golf. And, you know, he always makes Facebook posts and stuff, and every time – I wouldn't tell him this and he'll probably hear it right now, but every time I see those, it, it makes me smile because it, it truly, you know, he, he watches me every step of the way and he's seen me play disc golf more than anybody ever has. And so he's experiencing, you know, he always makes those posts and at the bottom it says disc golf is hard, keep working. And, you know, that pushes me because you know, he's right. Disc golf is hard. It's frustrating. And when something goes bad, you just can't let him get to you. So those little things like that are what what makes me want to play disc golf. Nice. Awesome, Nolan. We really appreciate you coming on, man, and uh, look forward to, hey, hopefully maybe getting that YouTube video shot and or just seeing <laughs> yeah. you out on the course, my man. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for listening to the Chain Clankers podcast. Make sure you follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Chain Clankers and hit that subscribe button wherever you're listening to us from so you never miss another episode.